Welcome back, dear listener. It is the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast where you've got one of your hosts, the general, but my government name is Lawrence Andrew Grieve. We've also got Daniel Chappelle, Daniel Yates, and Mr. Jack Radford-Smith. It's episode 60, so another round number, which we love to see, boys. And I'm actually going to start today with a bit of a story. So, lads, I trained legs uh, with Petey. Shout out, Petey, one of my clients and mates on Sunday. And it was a little bit of a disrupted Sunday. So I was down on the Gold Coast overnight staying with a friend because we were watching our friend run in the Gold Coast Marathon. Shout out to Cohen, finished the marathon. What a guy, great effort. So anyway, made for a little bit of a disrupted morning, lots of steps down at the marathon, despite not running in it, which I thought was outrageous. There was just a lot of walking around to be done. So on my feet a lot, bit of a disrupted pre-workout routine, sort of had to drive, was probably in the car for about an hour and a bit just with traffic because there was an accident on the motorway. Eventually, we get in for legs, kicking off at around 1 p.m. Now, DY knows this. 1 p.m. on a Sunday, mate, I'm normally home and hosed. Leg session, done. Lawrence, in the parasympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system. I'm chilling normally by that stage. So I'm a bit unhappy because it's later, but I'm training with Petey, so it's good. So anyway, didn't quite warm up as well, but still had a great session, great leg day, all as well. That, that night, Sunday night, I lie in bed, I'm on my back, and I'm just starting to feel that like little flicker of a quad cramp. Just just catch me as I straighten my knee. And I just think, oh, okay, this is going to be a bit spicy. Like I'm just going to have to sort of lie with my legs a certain way. And then I must have just been drifting off into sleep. And all of a sudden, no word of a lie, bilateral quad and hamstring cramps. Boys, I am not joking. Between five and seven minutes with it not going away at all. Like this is not on, (laughs) off, on, off. Like I'm not exaggerating. Gemma was there in the room. I can tell you, I like yelled out in pain. My right sort of like vastus medialis in particular it didn't even look like it was tensing because it had sort of contorted completely different to how you would actively flex the muscle. And that one in particular did not go away for five minutes. I looked completely ridiculous. Gemma is like helping me through, like the first thing I was like, Gemma, can you go get me like a salt shot? Like just go put some salt in some water and bring it to me. That did nothing. Anyway, it's still super sore. She's helping me walk through to the shower just so I can get some hot water on it and just try like relax the muscle. And eventually after a few minutes in the shower of just like trying to massage the muscle and just like stretch out a little bit, it all calmed down. But it was the worst cramp in both legs I've ever had in my entire life. Mm, I'm just imagining you as like Peter from Family Guy for like five minutes, just like, (laughs) ah. Just on the Mate, it was on, bad. On the was, okay, look, there's a lot of carry on because I'm not particularly good with pain, but goodness me, I was like, I was like, is this ever going to let up? Am I just going to die here, like with the cramp in my leg? I, I really, I could not believe it, and I was literally just looking at my leg and how like distorted it was, and I was like, what's happening? Like, how has this happened? You left the key part. You left the key part out there after the salt shot didn't work. He literally said, "Fuck it, go get a zinger box now." potassium sodium oh 100 like Uh, that you're running way too flat that's the issue well that's the thing you've never had this issue dui no so what's the common denominator self-appointed refeed days like Uh, regardless of what coach says so yeah anyway i've dumped joey um dui is going to be taking the prep from here and he's already given me a four-day refeed but it it's only at kfc which i thought was interesting but you don't doubt it Nah, mate, uh, I what do what Coach I says, right? a good soldier. Good soldiers follow orders. So what do you think was actually the cause of it? It was just literally a combination of training later, being on your feet all day, and perhaps changes in meal timing, perhaps? Would you just, would you just absolutely yeah. send it in your session? Yeah, because the other thing was is that the the family wants, like, wanted to do like a bit of a, a dinner together. So I had backloaded some calories so that I could sort of eat with them so I didn't really have like my normal post-workout meal and then wait a bit and then eat. So I don't know if it was just like a combination of just like weirdness outside of what I usually do. And I will note that like, I don't think this is the primary reason, but 
I definitely didn't go through my usual pre-workout warm-up routine, you know, where I'll normally do a little bit of light stretching and then a little bit of foam rolling and that sort of thing. Like I just sort of got straight into it. Well, I mean, DY is shaking his head. I only stretched for 45 minutes, which I mean, what what's the point? You know what I mean? Like if you're not Idiot. getting in two hours you deserve of stretching. It. You got to stretch yeah. more than you train. You know that. Mate, you, I deserve it. One I deserve my training pain. ratio. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Three to one if you're serious. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no, it was an interesting well, like, experience. David Golgans is two hours every night. Like, what's I your know. excuse? I thought I when you were about to, to say, you, I thought when you were about to say you're laying in the bed and the next thing you know, you woke up and then all you could think about who was carrying the boats or something. Oh, mate. It's like, they don't and know me, son. They yeah. don't know me, son. I would have done mate. a 21 with that cramp. Oh, 100%. Well, yeah, I thought, I was like, do I just utilize this this strong muscle contraction and just get into a session, you know, hightail <laughs> it over to Powerhouse and get some leg extensions in with a fully locked and just jarred up VMO. So, yeah, it was you a good time. some pickle juice on hand. Apparently, that's good for cramps. Yeah. It was actually funny. Like, I was going through and, like, my mom was like, what's going on? And Gemma said that she saw mum, like, motion to, like, get a banana and like bring me a banana i was like mom i would have had to be like dying and even then i probably wouldn't have eaten it you know the macros had been hit just let me go just let me go at least i would have died doing what i want you know what i mean Mm. so yeah that was my story boys and uh it was a it was a fascinating fascinating time so i thought it has been a few weeks since we've done like a bit of a catch-up as to where everyone's at so mr dy we'll start with you mate how are things been going and probably started with the most boring one. Uh, everything's been going really good. Like it's pretty, <laughs> it's been like four weeks and it's like everything's been running really smoothly. Training's been really good. Pretty much probably start coming out of the mini cut about seven weeks ago. I probably started about 3,200 and about up to like 3,700. So I'm going to be stealing some of uh, Jack's cement uh, shake recipes very shortly. Uh, ground up Milo, bit of cement powder, yeah. bit, bit of uh, water in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then five scoops of that serious mass from Optimum Nutrition as well. So it should be looking pretty good. But no, everything's been traveling really good. Strength has been going up nicely. Calories are going up nicely. And I'm holding a body comp quite nicely as well. So I really couldn't... Uh, and not only that as well, my injury has uh, been feeling a lot better as well. So hey, but last time I said that I jinxed it and it was sore the next day. So I'm going to take that back. Don't you think some of the most boring like check-ins or you know, catch-ups in that regard are some of the best. Like it's, it means that everything is just going well. I think sometimes uh, having, you know, check-ins with with athletes and not not really having a whole lot to report on. It's like, hey coach, everything's going well. Training's good. Like nutrition is being hit. Bodyweight trends are moving in a great spot. Sorry for the boring check-in this week. And I'm like, hey, this is a great check-in. Like we're not navigating through any obstacles at this point in time. Like everything's in a solid spot. So I think sometimes like when, when we have these catch-ups, it's like, I don't really have much to talk about. I could actually be a good thing because everything's like smooth sailing. I even find like you're probably similar, uh, Jack and DC. Like even when you do coaching feedback and you get their check-in, it's like some of the most boring check-ins where they've ticked every single box and you don't even realistically have much to give feedback on. Other ones are the most productive. Mm. It's like, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed, man. Yeah, no worries, mate. I um do a bit of coaching as well, but that's completely fine. Just, just uh, I'll just jump off the call, boys. Have a nice afternoon. No, I'm just kidding. DC, uh, how are you going, mate? Have you had some lovely, boring weeks in the in the schedule for you as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, it's been incredibly boring at this point in time. Now everything's in a, in a great spot. Uh, nutrition is certainly on the rise. Body weight trends are back up as well. It's a bit slow out of the gates after my last mini cut, sort of around the the last season. And, uh, but weight is pushing back up towards the 94s at the moment. So we're, we're back in a good spot. Uh, body is feeling good. But in the last week, I've had a little bit of like pec tendon issues coming about. My ITV is a little bit spicy. And I always tend to, to feel this sort of week, like eight or so in a program block. So uh, it's usually when I'm starting to approach the need to, to run a bit of a deload week. But uh, other than that, man, everything has been really good. My bench press has been very progressive. I feel as though I'm almost uh, hitting the 140 for five. And that's kind of like a bit of a, a lifetime goal that I want to strike for a pause. And I feel like I'm not far off that. Like I hit it for fours the other week pretty comfortably. So 
I think it's just around the corner. But uh, everything's good, man. Everything's great. Yeah. On that, lovely, mate. Jack, Jack, what's your weight at the moment? Uh, I think I'm almost triple digits. Yeah, yeah, triple. Yeah, there's been a bit of a shift in the dynamic of this podcast now because now Lawrence is weighing sixty two point three, aren't you, Lawrence? You're now the lightest on the podcast. Almost double Lawrence's body weight right now. I'm sixty two point four on wake this morning, but to be fair, that was fasted, dehydrated, no pump, no water, no food, no sodium, no fat, carbohydrate, or protein. I've, I haven't eaten in a week, so um, yeah, pretty flat. Yeah. Did I say no pump as well? Yeah, no, you missed that one. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. so funny though, how touching upon that as a as a topic because. I feel like everybody updates their cha- their photos on Instagram with that tagline, right? It's like, hey, this is my recent progress photos, but I'm so depleted. Man, I haven't eaten for like a month, like training, like <laughs> I haven't slept. I was robbed on the way into the gym to take these. I was mugged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've had And COVID no filter like... as well. No filter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Wait, are we saying, well, Jack, what is, well, how are you going, Jack? What is your actual body weight? Where are you sitting at? I see that you've gathered a bit of momentum since transitioning back from the life of a uh, jet setter. Mm. Yeah, things are going pretty well. I'm, I'm about 88 at the moment. Um, so Ooh. I'm still a little bit under. I mean, oh, sorry. <laughs> still under where I actually left off. But I think uh, the good thing about me being a slightly lighter weight is that I feel pretty darn good around like 87 to, to 93. So if I'm in that range, things are, things are going to be moving quite well in the gym. I, I don't feel sick when I eat and all that. So, and that's pretty much going to carry me all the way until the end of this off season. Like I'll probably finish this gaining phase roughly 93. And, and then we're kind of faced with that conundrum at that point. Like, do we decide to just literally maintain until we start prep? or which will be a, a few months of maintaining, um, or do we decide to like run just a very, very light mini cut, maybe get down to 90 to 92 and then and then maintain, then then prep. So I don't know, like, I guess either option is, is arguably good. And uh, I mean, one of them is similar to what you did, Lawrence, like you basically just held and then you got into prep and uh, obviously it's, it's working very well for you. So uh, yeah, I'll obviously- It's been keep a nightmare, around. mate. Sorry? It's been a nightmare to be fair. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. No, I agree. I think it's made a big difference. Like, um, just not going straight from peak mass, pushing max food straight in. Um, and like Joey spoke about it on the podcast I did with him, where it's like, because you're not having to make such a big drop to get that first bit of weight loss rolling, it's like he sort of compared it to you just standing a bit closer to the dartboard. You know, you already roughly know how much you need to drop rather than having to account for all the other things that might, you know, change your weight when you are just eating so much food. Yeah. Um, but no, that's exciting, mate. Are you feeling a bit more like yourself in the gym again? Yeah, I would say all the accessories are pretty much back to normal. And I have switched a couple compounds around just to kind of one refresh things just a touch, but also leading into prep, although that's still quite a while away, like, I think some of these movements will be better for prep and I'd rather start acclimating to them now. So for example, RDLs, like, um, plus I want to sort of get above 200 for RDLs, uh, which I didn't quite crack properly last time. Mm. DY, yeah. it's a long time to maintain for Jack though to 2028. I don't know, because that's <laughs> when he'll next prep, I assume. So I don't know. I reckon you could keep going the surplus a bit more, Jack. Mm. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, AJ's in charge, so... This is true. Speaking of, I, I wanted to bring up AJ, actually. Did anybody see his um, his seven-plate Cybex hack? Mm. I haven't even heard about that either, Lawrence. Yeah, no, I, I didn't tell you <laughs> at all at the gym, D.Y. You can see I'm quite excited because that's just absolutely ludicrous. Like, I mean, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't gross looking. He took like a very solid set of four. Just no bands. unbelievable strength. No bands. Crazy. On the Cybex as well, right? On the Cybex, yeah. I think it was the version one. Wasn't on it? the Mark one, yeah. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, that's insane, man. Absolutely First thing crazy. when I came up to Lawrence, didn't even say hi. He just goes, did you see AJ's Cybex? I was like, oh, no. How are you, mate? Oh, I actually didn't even say that. I said AJ Cybex 7. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because so I'm trying be to like preserve 20, energy. 20 plates on the Watson, right? 28 plates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. at least. Especially with the angle I put it at, mate. <laughs> Probably like 40 plates aside with the angle that I'm at. To be fair, if you put the Watson up fully, like that's 
that's like I did that once and I I think I failed on rep one with like two plates aside. Yeah. You could yeah. technically make the Watson harder than the Cybex. Yeah. For sure. Mm. Just does looks cool. Well, that's what we're going to have Cybex written down the side. That's what we tell Oh, yeah, yeah. Lines. Like, we, it's way harder the machine that we do. And you're doing seven that, plates. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, AJ's doing seven on the Cybex. I'm doing six and a half horizontally on the Watson, you know, you're with a band. I actually and do mine off. on a decline. So I actually put mine backwards. So it kind of like, yeah. Way. I'm just protecting my knees, you know what I mean? Knees over toes, all that. At that point, it becomes somewhat of a hamstring curl to like yeah. pull, pull yourself back up. Yeah, you lock your feet in and just like curl yourself back yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. simultaneous uh, hamstring curl plus hip flexor, hip flexion curl to uh, to get back up. Yeah, we all need some of it. But um, as far as my end, because I know that you're all asking, um, is prep is going fairly well. I will be nine weeks out this weekend and I still feel really good. Uh, I honestly am I'm very pleasantly surprised by how well it's going. I will say like the last couple of weeks, I certainly have started to notice a bit more in the way of like diet related symptoms. So, you know, the end of the day, I'm getting a bit more tired, certainly noticing like, you know, the meals aren't quite as satiating and that sort of thing. But all in all, like compared to where I've been at nine weeks out in previous preps, I think it's it's very, very easily the best I've felt. Um, still hit some awesome numbers today, still taking PBs on most leg sessions. The upper, like some of the bigger movements for upper, you know, like chest supported T-bar, most of the pressing, stuff like that, you know, is kind of just in hang on for dear life territory. Like I'm not really taking big PBs on that, you know, maybe I'll take a rep here or there, but they're sort of on maintenance mode, but everything else is ticking along really nicely and, um, you know, visually quite pleased with how things are looking. So all smooth sailing in that regard. What Have you noticed of- any distinctive like ADLs? So like anything that you do day to day, that's just become a little bit more challenging. Like towards the tail end, I noticed like going up large sets of stairs was like, oh my God. Like that's th- that, that 20 stairs, like it just felt like it was 60. Like, do you notice any things like that? Mm, I will say like, especially first thing in the morning, because that's when I often do my steps, like by the last like five minutes or so of like the half an hour or 40 minutes, what I'm doing, like you're starting to feel like, oh, okay, this has been a lot of movement in one go with no food. Like I'm I'm pretty ready to to get off this treadmill. But I would say like day to day stuff. I think I'm just noticing that I'm like more inclined to sit down like wherever I can, like, uh, like in the, for example, like if I'm in a consult with a patient, I'm almost having to like force myself to move a bit more to like offset the fact that I would prefer to stay still. So like if we walk through to the gym with a patient, like normally I would like instantly just like lie down, demonstrate an exercise, you know, fully do it for them. Whereas now I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, hop down there. Let's, let's set up almost like I'll talk them through it rather than me just jumping down and demonstrating it. So I'm trying to like cue myself to not do it just so that I can offset that sort of, um, you know, predisposition to move a little bit less now that I've been in the deficit for quite a while. But all in all, not too bad. I'm just picturing your patient like, hey, that's a great description on on how to do this exercise. But like, I just don't really quite get it. Do you mind just getting down and sort of showing me how, how to do this? And you're like, oh, nah, like I'm pretty good. Hey, let's just let's dragging myself again. down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you show me how to do a conventional deadlift? And Lawrence is like, "Shit, this is gonna, this is gonna generate so much fatigue." And then client, yeah, can you try it under a hundred kilos? I just want to see how it moves with actual load on the bar. Absolutely no chance at that point. Discharge. <laughs> yeah. Refer to someone else. <laughs> what sort of um, conditioning markers are you aiming for, like show one versus like? Because I know we've had this discussion before about like being a hundred percent for show one. Like what's going, have you and Joey talked about that much? Not specifically in terms of like, oh, we want to be here or we want to weigh this. Like a lot of what Joey said is that, you know, he he's sort of questioning whether or not I will need to get down to that like 80 kilo mark that we thought about. Because he was saying like, you know, dude, you're in pretty good nick. Like what we may not need to, I think this morning I weighed in at 84.7. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, you know, like my legs uh like my quads are always fairly lean to be fair but they're starting to get like you know proper deep cross striations now like sort of getting further up the vastus lateralis 
Um, abdominals are looking pretty tight, starting to get some some lines on the outside of the glutes and stuff. So I would say that I'm I'm quite lean, but it's just probably another you know that sort of another three or four kilos before you're in like legit stage conditioning. So, I mean, I, I haven't discussed it with him too specifically, but you know, my goal would be, you know, by the time we get to potentially the state show, which would be after tropics or, you know, at the very latest nationals that all the fat loss is completely done. And even if that means we, we do intentionally hold back a little bit for that first show and then sort of push a bit more for the state show and then push a bit more for nationals and then hold that. I don't know. I guess it's just, you know, going to depend how I'm feeling. And in all honesty, like, man, like I, I was already expecting to feel crap by now, to be honest. Mm. So like, Every week I tell myself, you know, why can't I feel like this for another month? Like if I sort of think in a month's time when I'm five weeks out, I can't imagine feeling so much worse. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of deterioration that would need to occur for me to start to feel really average. And I just can't imagine that happening over the course of the next month. You know what I mean? Like I think I'm still going to be feeling relatively good. So if I'm, if I'm feeling good, then I feel like we are in a really good spot where even if we are holding condition for quite a while, I think I'll be able to do it because I've certainly never felt this good at nine weeks out before. Um, and then if we do get to the stage where we're increasing food, it should at least get a little bit better as we do that. Mm. See, for me in prep, it was like somewhat similar. I was like, wow, this is like so, so comfortable. And then I just woke up one morning and my feet were just so heavy. And it just like hit me like all at once. It was just like, nothing. This is smooth sailing. Get up one morning. I was like, holy shit. I was like, that's rough. I was like, oh, maybe it's just a day. And then it just kicks in every day after that. I don't know if these boys are similar, but for me, it was just like, it was just one day. And I was like, yeah, now I know prep's it. Mm, I definitely think that for me, it was like, and I often describe this to a lot of my athletes that prep is very much like, um, like we say, water over stone. And I know that, that B refers to this as well as, you know, the, the first instance of prep, you don't really feel much in the way of diet fatigue, but you kind of feel it slowly creep on. And I think that's something that you described, Lawrence, as to like what you're feeling at the moment. You kind of feel it like creeping up. But I do agree with you, do I? I feel like there was a point in prep where I probably had a bit of like an oh shit moment where I pretty much did the same thing. I woke up one day, I like got up and I was like, holy crap, like I feel depleted. And it was just a like a spur, like a like a sort of a spontaneous occurrence probably happened to me sitting at around like the eight week out mark i probably noticed i started to feel that i definitely felt it more at the 12 week out mark but eight week out was definitely a hit for me and and i think five week out was was a, a tough a tough point as well um but i do really respect your mentality lawrence because i think that's how you have to see it in prep like you can't i don't think you can look ahead and think you know what i'm feeling good right now but i know that i'm gonna feel like shit in you know x amount of weeks time because i think you are psychologically priming yourself to begin to experience those hard days you're sitting there and you're anticipating it and you think it's going to come come around and look it may it may very well be but you may as well just ride out this wave right now when you're feeling great so it's like don't even worry about how you're going to be feeling in four or five weeks time concentrate on how great you feel right now and trying to you know maintain that for as long as possible mm, yeah i think that's a great point and and look i think the the way you approach it like the mindset you take is massive because if you're going to look at your calories coming down every week and you have a little sulk for yourself and you know feel bad for yourself because like woe is me i'm not eating this much food i do this amount of steps it's like you know this this is bodybuilding like this is prep it's not easy and you know you do have to to a certain extent lean into the hard patches but i remember i can't remember who it was exactly it was one of aj's clients i want to say it was maybe jack richardson in his prep that he always used to like mm, hashtag Jack, his yeah. to always Jack. Yeah. yeah with us. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So now I don't have to, um, you know, betray my Christianity and swear. I'm just joking. <laughs> Thanks Jack for, for filling the blanks in for me. Um, but no, like if you just tell yourself that it's easy, like I think it's massive. So whenever people ask me how I'm feeling at the moment, I don't feel like I'm having to fake it, but even if I do, I'm just going to keep saying that I'm feeling good and that I'm surprised at how good I am feeling because maybe along the way I've, I've convinced myself, maybe I'm going to get to the end of prep and just be like absolutely shattered because the time for faking it will be over. But at the moment, while I'm still hitting PBs in the gym, 
still eating a pretty good amount of food, still enjoying life, we'll just keep plugging along. Hmm. Yeah, I find that it also prevents people from pitying you as well. And that was something that I disliked from family members, for example, or friends is, is them taking pity on you and being like, oh, are you okay? Like, that's not really how I want to be treated towards the end of prep. Yeah, 100%. And I think it, it does come back to something we've discussed before. Like, at the end of the day, like, look at, I mean, bodybuilding, you could maybe even argue it's like, the epitome of a privileged sport you know like not only do we have access to play our sport in inverted commoners because we have gyms and facilities but we are also in such a position you know in our western society where we're able to intentionally deprive ourselves of calories so that we can throw tan on and like pose on a stage for fun because we want to challenge ourselves like if that doesn't scream you know first world i don't know what does so just like you know, remind yourself of that when it gets tough, no one's forcing you to do this. Chances are you don't need to be doing this to put food on the table. So, you know, just lean in and enjoy it. Mm, I mean, doesn't C-Bomb have that quote where it's like prep is a privilege? Pressure is a privilege. Yeah. Pressure, pressure is a privilege. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I and, and in the same token, prep is a privilege as well, right? <laughs> like it is such a privilege to, to be able to do this. And I mean, I guess when you prep, you sign up for this, like, you know, exactly well, maybe for a first time, we don't know exactly what is going to entail towards the tail end. But I mean, prep was never made to be easy. Certainly wasn't made to be easy. And the difference between, I guess, sometimes someone who does extremely well within within placings versus not is maybe that person who wasn't, you know, as quote unquote, as genetically gifted was able to lean in towards those hard days a little bit more and just do the work. And at the end of the day, come in with better conditioning, with better posing. And that could be the difference between, you know, first and second in that token. Love it, love it. Well, Mr. Radford Smith, you posed what I thought was a, a tantalizing topic of discussion for today, which would probably take up the majority of today's chat, to be fair, because there's a lot of different facets within it that we can talk about. So did you want to set the table for us, mate? Yeah, so I, I didn't really grab this topic from anywhere. In fact, like we, uh, Tierra and I were planning to do this as a as like an infographic on on TBD's Instagram, but we th I thought I'd bring it up here because it's probably better to have a discussion around this topic. So essentially, it's around the um, the uh, agenda of bro science and how potentially bro science paves the way in terms of what is then covered in in literature and research. And uh, like I guess the title of this conversation would be does. Uh, was bro science right all along does bro science have merit and i think maybe the the first example of this we could potentially dig into is um and maybe you guys can start thinking about oh what what is an element of bro science do you, that actually has merit and maybe has evidence base now or an evidence basis for bodybuilding but um i mean we've all seen some bros do like half reps and quarter reps and maybe we've interpreted that as poor execution but I mean, as per Lawrence's um, recent podcast with Milo Wolf, like there's this new topic of uh, length and partials, which are essentially like quarter reps or half reps in the length and position. So um, could that be an element of bro science that is um, that is now proving to, to have merit? Yeah, no, I think it's massive because I think like the, the length and partials is such an interesting one because it's like how often now that we are starting to see this data come up, you can think of so many examples. So like you could think of, for example, like a row where, you know, like a bro would typically not be getting it all the way up to their chest or they're doing tons of like partial reps where the bar's not really moving. But then the, the data is also reflecting that, you know, if you're limiting yourself to a weight where as soon as you can't get it all the way to your chest, you're stopping a set, you're potentially missing out on like some pretty important gains. Or for example, another one would be, you know, like the classic sort of bro mm. dumbbell press where, you know, not necessarily extending the elbows all the way. And, you know, that was always thought to be, oh, you're just like slinging around the weight. But that might also be something that is a, a little bit better overall. I actually, for one, you know, like I've tried to implement a little bit of the super lengthened stuff. You know, I wouldn't call them lengthened partials per se, because I'm still trying to go through full range. But for certain exercises, I definitely am trying to consider, okay, how can I get this not only to a long muscle length, but the longest muscle length? 
And one that I have actually started to do is like probably true length and partials would be a standing calf raise. And I think Milo made a very good point, which was off the back of a point that Mike Israel made in the podcast with him is like, even intuitively, like I've never found it comfortable to complete a full calf raise, you know, where you sort of get through that first portion and then you get that last bit of plantar flexion by almost like coming up onto your toes. I've always thought it felt a bit clunky, but you know, team full Rome and all that jazz. And like, you know, you want to get the calf fully short, but after, you know, hearing him talk about the paper in which length and partials actually outperformed shortened partials and full range of motion, you know, I've started to think, okay, well, I'm just going to load up this standing calf raise a bit more so that even with me really pushing hard, I can only get, you know, like the bottom two thirds, bottom half of the rep. And, you know, I did them today and they, they felt great. I wouldn't say they felt any different in terms of stimulus. But then one thing that I have been doing is that like, once I finish that third set, I'll just whack sort of half the weight off and then just do some full range ones because I, I do I do accept what Milo said with like some of those length and partials, he noticed that you can't get as much of a pump. And I do find that, you know, something about getting the muscle fully short does contribute a bit more to the pump. So I just finished with like a set of 10 kind of to failure getting full range just to get a bit more of a pump. But that's probably just me trying to um, tick all the boxes or just make sure I don't miss out entirely. Yeah, I've been I've been trying some things myself, even discussing it slightly with AJ. And I'm not at that stage where... I'll, similar to what he said as well, where I'm not going to redesign my exercises around length and partials. I don't feel that confident in it yet, but like I will incorporate a drop set here and there uh, where I can basically do some length and partials. Like I think lateral raise is an excellent one to do and potentially chest movements as well, where you, especially on a machine, you just drop drop the pin and then maybe do some length and partials afterwards. Um, but yeah. Mm. Um, leg extension as well. Like yes. I've been doing like a lengthened partial superset on my single leg leg extension. I did those today and nearly fell out of the machine. And that was really interesting. It's on camera as well. I'll send it through to you boys. But that that's awesome. Like you finish a set where you're pretty much going to failure. And then I sort of like pick a, a visual spot on the machine where I try to get like the pin to like a bolt. And it just so happens that that actually works well as a lengthened partial to finish with five of those. And man, like it feels great. And I, I kind of, I enjoy it, you know, like you, you sort of get back to a little bit of that more like hardcore bro training where it's just like, okay, like I'm just going to do something hard and just something that absolutely like finishes the muscle off. And I, I think it's an enjoyable bit of spice to add to your training. Yeah. Just wait till you finish prep. Like you're literally triple in size. <laughs> I'm growing into the show, so mate. Grow, grow into the show. Yeah. The length and partials. I'm going to get on stage at 90 kilos at this rate. What, one thing about the length and partials, I know that you've actually liked the post, Jack, and it was by Jeff Nippard when he was doing like the lying hamstring curl. And it's like, well, where do you count the failure? It's like once you can't touch the pad to your bum anymore, because like, for example, I might be able to do eight where the pad will touch my bum. And then slowly after that, you lose maybe like 10 to 15% of the reps range of motion. But it's like now with the studies of the length and partials, are you just going to discredit maybe about another five, very solid reps just because you can't get the full range of motion on the hamstring curl. And he pretty much tagged like every big name in the industry, like Dr. Pack, BioLane, Mike, um, and all of that. And then they all kind of put in their one percents, which was like an interesting little uh, chat that they made. Mm. I wonder if the, the whole concept of length and partials lends a little bit more towards movements that might encourage a little bit more of like, um, uh, uh length mediated hypertrophy so essentially you know training a, a muscle through its longer range of motion i think some some exercises would perhaps lend better to utilizing that as opposed to others like for example if i was doing a standing dumbbell bicep curl like a supinated bicep curl and i'm doing length and partials in that instance i mean am i am i truly uh, encouraging stretch mediated hypertrophy at that point because i'm not truly stretching the, the biceps through a full range of like a, through its full range. If I really wanted to, I would perform like a behind the body uh, bicep curl of sorts. So, and I, I guess when it comes to stretch mediated hypertrophy, just because we're stretching a muscle doesn't necessarily correlate to stretch mediated hypertrophy because we actually literally need to encourage the, the passive structures within a sacromere to contribute towards its like tension profile. 
And usually that comes about through stretching a sarcomere past a certain point within a muscle fiber. So like not all, not all lengthened positions encourages that. And there's certain movements that will lend more favorably to that versus not. So I definitely think there's merit to the, the length in partials. Absolutely. My only, my only thoughts was that perhaps there's just some movements that are more specific to, to being beneficial yeah. for it versus not. Yeah. Mm. And sort of functionally like, and Milo, well, that's the reason I really like Milo is that like, he's not just someone who's hypothesizing about this stuff. Like, you know, he is a bro, he's in the gym. Like he's like all of us. He loves his training, bodybuilding, powerlifting, loves it. So he's thinking about this stuff as someone who is going to go and train himself. So like he makes very good points around exercises where you probably don't need to do length and partials because functionally it kind of is already a length and partial. So like a flat dumbbell press would be a good example of this. Most squat patterns are going to be a good example of this. It's more so the movements where typically people fail in the short those are the movements where you maybe want to consider some length and partials because the way that he describes it is almost like by including the full range of motion for certain exercises, you are quote unquote diluting the sets because you're moving through a range of motion that could potentially be less fruitful for muscle growth. And it's important to remember through all of this, it's like, I think he said there's a total of four studies at the moment looking at full range versus length and partials in three of them length and partials were a bit better in one of them there was no difference so at worst it's going to be the same based on the current evidence granted there's not a lot of it yet and i suppose his new trial will definitely add to the evidence base but you know even within us talking about this it's not like this is going to be the difference between gaining an extra five kilos of muscle a year like yes there could be differences between groups that are significant but there's a big difference between that and like, oh my gosh, my physique was totally transformed. You know what I mean? So it's like, it could be adding that 1%, but we're still talking about very minute differences here. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. I wonder if even some of the benefit from length, length and partials is even just the premise that for, for some individuals, it's actually encouraging them to train at an intensity, which represents fatigue which represents a high level of fatigue so much so that it, it, it doesn't allow you to can be able to complete the, the whole repetition. And so I think that for some who perhaps don't maybe don't train, train at an intensity, which would be conducive towards maximizing hypertrophy, that's almost a way of like standardizing the fact that, Hey, like I want you to train to the point where you can't complete a full rep of set exercise. And I want you to add like five length and partials that towards the tail end here. Whereas maybe if that protocol wasn't implemented for that individual, they maybe would leave too many reps in reserve sort of thing. So there's even that, that, that debate with regards to it actually being an intensity technique, which encourages an adequate intensity conducive towards growth. Mm. Is there anything like on the maybe more nutrition front regarding like bro science that you guys think has like, has turned out to be best practice? I mean, I can think of one related to prep. Um, but not really related to general health and well-being, at least not that comes to mind. But the one in regards to prep would be, I mean, bros, they eat similar foods every day, chicken and rice and broccoli, et cetera. And essentially in prep, we want to do, we don't want to do exactly that, but we want it to be relatively boring and consistent. We don't really want to introduce a, a lot of unpredictable variables towards the end of prep. We don't really want diet foods per se and all that stuff. And that's essentially sort of what bros are promoting in their nutrition approach. But yeah, uh, I think I, that's the I, only... I'd agree. Yeah. And I, I wonder... Really think of many others that, that have really been like super bro, unless there's a tilapia study that's thinned the skin by at least 50%, then no, I don't want to know about it. That's the next RCT that I'll be keeping an eye out for. Can you think of anything else, DC? Um, I'm trying to think about some of the studies that I've read comparing like the the, the benefit of utilizing things such as like drop sets uh, in, in training. I think the consensus is that drop sets uh, don't seem to provide any improvement when it comes to hypertrophy, as long as like, especially if if you match an individual that is just taking their, stri their straight sets within a proximity of fatigue slash failure, you're going to get a, a like a replicable uh benefit uh, but i think there's merit with regards to drop sets etc 
for just promoting an intensity that is going to be conducive towards training hard. So same, same sort of thing I mentioned before where it's like, Hey, I want you to perform this, this weight. But if you had a few reps left in the tank, there's so certainly not going to be many reps left in the tank. Once we do this drop set for an MRAP after. So it's, if anything, it's encouraging an intensity for this individual to train hard. And I think there's mm. certainly merit in, in that regard. So as an example, like I think often um, bros will use, you know, countless drop sets and things like that as a means of intensifying one's training. And despite, I don't think there's being perhaps intensive research that showcases like drop sets are the difference between growing versus not, and you need to do them. Uh, they certainly, I still think are very beneficial when it comes to just training hard in the gym and promoting adequate amounts of uh, volume in your training as well. Mm. Maybe from, the, from more of a practical standpoint, I think. Mm. The only one I can, other one I can think of, which is partially correct is uh, sensation. Like got to feel it in the target muscle group. And I mean, ultimately we, we want that not for every exercise. Like I would say the more compound an exercise is the less we're likely going to feel it um, in, in the target muscle, but especially more accessory based movements, you'd expect to feel those in the target muscle group. I think also rep, rep range too, right? Like mm. if rep range is really low on a particular compound movement, you're probably not going to feel just mm. one thing working. Whereas, yeah. you know, do a set of 20 with, with back squats, you probably are going to feel your quad screaming. Like mm. you're going to get that metabolic, that metabolic accumulation, but I guess that, yeah, that's a good example as well. Yeah. There's still instances where I guess it hasn't panned out. Like for example, fasted cardio probably comes to mind where there's been you know, actual research on this now where they sort of take participants and sort of compare fat loss over the period of like four to six weeks. Some people training on a fasted stomach, some people training directly after a meal. And, you know, there's, there's been, again, no there, there might be like a partial benefit uh, more so for people who take PDs as opposed to no, no drugs. So again, there might be a partial truth to that one. Do you think though, is there anything like what uh, makes again, you say not that? My, not my area of expertise, but from what I've seen from like uh, from coaches who specialize in that area, they do seem to prescribe that. And I'm talking more so like the more evidence based coaches in that realm. Mm, okay, because I guess though, because like mechanistically, it it kind of makes sense, right? Like the the consensus of got fasted uh, uh, fasted cardio. Don't you think? Like I feel as though from a from a partitioning standpoint i feel as though like it makes sense it makes sense right mm. and i we feel know as that though, a higher rate of fat, fat oxidation occurs in fasted cardio yes yeah exactly and i would think that perhaps more applicable to someone that is extremely lean like we're talking you know five weeks out i mean i i cannot say i do think it it would have benefit because there's nothing there's just nothing to prove it but mechanistically i think i think there would perhaps be some benefit there uh, well yeah especially when other fat burning I mean? agents are used like like I, I don't yeah but then at that point you're not just comparing the fact that it's fasted cardio because if someone is doing that they're like taking i don't know your him bean or whatever they a fat burner um preferably ones all the power subs prior to their cardio then potentially we are talking about that but i don't know like it, how the, the thing i come back to with like a lot of the bro science which still like befuddles me even when i hear some of the top coaches talk you know i'm talking Johanny rambods chad nichols matt jansen like they still do stuff that i'm just like man like like why but how much of it just comes down to this is what we've always done you know like no, it's i agree just been... i agree that's the majority of it like yeah like white fish and like asparagus and etc yeah i agree completely and especially like on like unobjectified uh refeeds like go and have some pancakes at ihop that drives me insane like you've got a coach for example so it's like okay you know you got harney rambod like telling chris bumstead that he can't just have one carb source you know some of it's got to be sweet potato some of it's got to be normal potato but then you send him in and out for a burger that some 17 year old has cooked you know what i mean like I will never understand that idea of being so dialed in and having so many of the specifics like measured down to a T, but then you're just going to be like, yeah, just go get a burger from like down the street. Like mm -hmm. it's just such a, it's such a counter to everything about it. Like, I don't know. Did it, did Hanny actually do that? Cause I didn't know if Chris Bumstead grabbed I'm a burger. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I'm oh, not see, sure about I'm... the burger. 
But I've, I've, I've seen some coaches the different do it. carb sources. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some coaches do it, but I didn't know that Hanny did it with his his guys. I know normally a majority of the time they're quite on point with it. I maybe I'm being facetious here, but I definitely like have heard Hanny talk about like in certain meals leading up to the show, like he won't just assign a carb source for the meal, like you know rice or pasta or whatever. Like he'll go, okay, I want you to have. 50% of it from this carb source, 50% of it from that carb source. You know what I mean? So, but I think it, across the board, you know, like you've got coaches telling them exactly what to eat, when to eat, which drugs to take, you know, it's all so dialed in, but then so many of them will just be like, yeah, mate, just like go grab some sushi and, you know, go grab a burger and chips. Like I just find that bizarre. Even from like a contamination standpoint, right? Like, I mean, what, like worst case scenario, you get like food poisoning or something like that because it just hasn't been prepared in a way that is ideal towards health, towards health standards. And then you're, you're sick in the bathroom on the day of the Olympia. Like who would want to risk that? The other yeah, one I don't understand. The other one I don't like is like no dairy from like 10 weeks out or no dairy at all. And I can understand that if like you genuinely have a lactose sensitivity, but we know that dairy, if anything, is more prone, uh, sorry, anti-inflammatory rather than pro-inflammatory. So yeah, I think if you can tolerate dairy, then keep it in as long as you can, because we also know that if you have a high protein diet, then it potentially actually um, uh, decreases your uh, calcium stores. So you need to be replenish, you need to be ensuring that you're having like at the very least a thousand milligrams of calcium a day. And if you're not having dairy, you better be supplementing with that. That's for sure. Yeah, very nice. I was gonna bring this up last week, Jack, but we uh, we didn't have time for this question. It was building on something that you spoke about with Tierra on your podcast after coming back from the holiday of like, you know, when you come out of this bubble of bodybuilding, it sometimes does open up like, you know what, maybe there is a bit more to life than just eating the meals and going to the gym and practicing mm. posing and that sort of thing. So did you want to elaborate? And then we'll get some of the other boys to to put their two cents in. Yeah, so I think uh, when we went on holiday, for those who don't know, we went away to for three and a bit weeks to three different countries and spent some time with family and friends. And none of those family or friends had really anything to do with the bodybuilding industry. And I think one, like when we were introduced to other people, we were always introduced as like nutritionists and dietitians or nutrition scientists. Um, and it was really only us who instigated bodybuilding. Not that I really have an issue with that, um, but also that our physiques or our our um our journey with bodybuilding never really came into play and it like even at the beach like people would never really remark on oh wow you you're a bit more muscular than the average person etc and i just think that yeah it's a reminder that we're in our own little bubble and i mean personally for me very quickly i don't i don't mind that like i enjoy being in my own bubble and i think going away on holiday reinforced that i enjoy it and that i i don't necessarily need to um have time away from being a bodybuilder but that genuinely might change in the future i'm not necessarily um opposed to it changing either what about you dy yeah what are your thoughts ah is there more to life than bodybuilding you know yeah there is but that being said it's a very big part of my life and i think it would be the same for all of you boys like you know our jobs are that like even like what Jack said, like, you know, you go away for a while and it's like, you realize how much you truly do miss it. Even if it's a very basic, like, you know, same thing every day, you, you love training, it pushes you. And I don't know, like, yeah, there is, but it's like, it brings me so much enjoyment that probably not many other people outside of the industry will probably understand. Like, you know, a lot of people love to go on holidays, do stuff on the weekends, but like, you know, I love bodybuilding and that's gotten me to where I am. And I think you boys are probably quite similar. What about you, DC? Yeah, I think I think there is more to life than bodybuilding. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think there is. And I think perhaps that's something that that we need to leverage more on whilst we're in the off season because I think there is more of a an integral lifestyle component to the off season as opposed to obviously, you know, a contest prep. Uh, and considering as a natural athlete you may look to compete in 2 to 3 years time, I, I think it is important to continue to be that that all-in bodybuilder but i I, th I certainly think you can do that whilst also uh pursuing other endeavors in in life that bring you joy as well and that might be centered around you know family friends additional hobbies that you may do i've got plenty of athletes that enjoy also going and surfing um playing soccer you know like 
doing other things outside of, of bodybuilding as well. And I think these these things can be done in a manner that doesn't provide a, a substantial hindrance to one's bodybuilding goals, uh, as long as it doesn't promote you know further injury and, and things like that. But I I think when we establish a good sense of balance in the off season, perhaps it makes us more appreciative towards what we do as a bodybuilder as well. Uh, you you really value that time where you can get away and 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 you know get your training and etc. Um, I think yeah, there's there's certainly I mean like what you could almost think like what else brings you joy in life? Dy, it's like your family, like gaming, uh, <laughs> things like this, right? I mean these are these things all provide benefit to you, right? Do they? Question mark. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> Nah, yeah, 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 hundred, hundred percent, they do. Um, but yeah, the bottom line for me is more so because I do hundred percent agree with you, DC. But it's more so like at the end of the day, what makes you happy? Like with bodybuilding, you can kind of be who you want to be if you enjoy it. Um, but of course, I still have interests outside of bodybuilding, like the obvious one that uh, you guys love to joke around about is fishing. So, um, and I think we all have our own sort of collective hobbies outside of bodybuilding as well. Mm. Have you guys ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Vaguely. So essentially it's like this kind of pyramid of, of uh, uh, like categories that work up this sort of spectrum, like this pyramid, right? Kind of similar, I guess, the, the training and nutrition pyramid. And at the very top of the pyramid is like self-actualization, which refers to basically the desire to become the most one can be. Like it's to fulfill your, I guess, your, your, your desires slash purpose. And I, I think... I don't think a lot of people truly achieve a sense of self-actualization, but I think we're all like working towards that, whatever it may be. And I guess for some, it bodybuilding may be that, you know what I mean? That might be that what, that, what provides that point of self-actualization. Um, for others, it could be golf for, you know, and, and in 10 years time that that could very well change as well. So, you know, I think there's certainly more to bodybuilding. Absolutely. But um it's not to it's not to say that it still provides a, a grand sense of self-actualization for some individuals. In fact, you know, I'd say some individuals without bodybuilding, they wouldn't have much. Like and DY is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think another distinction. Yeah, I was about to well, say. <laughs> another distinction as well, not to go on about this because it's quite a um it's easy to flesh it out. But like for for DY and me and for you DC as well, like bodybuilding is more than just like our actual bodybuilding. It's also like our business as well. It's how we generate income. It's how we like uh, associate with people on a daily basis as well. So when I speak about bodybuilding, I speak about all of that too. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's a t completely different story for, you know, for coaches that sit on a call like this where bodybuilding is every aspect of our life, right? To, to someone else who bodybuilds, with the endeavor of jumping on stage and doing absolutely incredibly, but perhaps that represents a quarter of what someone does within their, like their week and their day and their life. And maybe in 10 years time, it's no longer on the radar. They fulfilled that goal that no longer provides that sense of fulfillment or purpose. Uh, it's, I feel like as a coach within this space, we're more biased to say, no, there's nothing like, you know, nothing outside of bodybuilding. Like it is the be all end all, but we are just so in our bubble, aren't we? Like if we were all into golf, we would have a different, different conversation about what provides our golfing down under. purpose. <laughs> golfing down under. There you go. I, I guess sometimes the way I think about it though, is like the fact that we are also entrenched in bodybuilding, is that like holding us back from potential, you know, fulfillment in like more, quote unquote normal facets of life like you think about what most people do like they probably when you compare us you know to the average person the average person is probably like going on more overseas trips because they're not having to you know get in the way of their training or their nutrition or a contest prep like maybe the average person is going you know like to music festivals and concerts and stuff so it's like it's not necessarily hindering their health but it's maybe just not you know, getting that last little nitty gritty obsession. Like I'd be interested to hear what you have to say, DY. It's like, do you feel like, you know, bodybuilding almost has this like little bit of a, like, are we all kind of a little bit shackled in a way? And like, we, there's all these other experiences we could be having, but we don't because bodybuilding comes at the top of, you know, our priorities a lot of the time. I wonder if it's often the illusion of being shackled though, because I often think of it from the premise that why can't you go to a music festival? Like, why can't you go on an overseas trip? I'm sure you could do a trip which still allows you to be able to train, right? 
I'm sure you can still go to a music festival on the weekend, maybe, you know, not, not have nose beers and things like that, whatever you want to do, but you know what I mean? Like you can still do those things, but perhaps it's just the illusion that you can't all of a sudden you start thinking, Oh, if I do that, I'm so depleted for my, my hack squats on Monday. Like I just, I can't do that, you know, but like, I feel like that shackle is sometimes self-inflicted. Like you, you can do these things, but in my opinion, they don't bring me as much fulfillment as what training and everything that I like to do. Like I would rather go to the gym for five hours than go to maybe go to a music festival where there might be someone that I don't really care about playing or whatever it might be. Like, like the bodybuilding side of things brings me so much more. Yeah. If it's sandstorm, like I'm out. Nah, but like it, it brings me so much more fulfillment than a lot of other things will actually bring me. Like I could be on holidays and like at some really nice place. I'm like, wow, look at that building. But like, fuck. I could be pushing one more rep on an incline Smith machine bench right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like, yeah, you, you definitely can manage these things like what DC said, like, but in the end for me, a lot of the time, the bodybuilding lifestyle will actually bring me more fulfillment than a lot of these other things. But that being said, I also do some of these other things as well. Like I go on holidays, you know, I go to the movies, I do whatever I want to do, but, um, and obviously it doesn't have that much of a carryover effect to bodybuilding, but, bodybuilding is such a big part of my life and I would rather do a lot of the things that are associated with that. If that means sacrificing a little bit somewhere else. Mm. I guess it just comes down to ultimately like what, what makes you happy and what provides Mm. purpose for you. And the whole question around does, is there more to life than bodybuilding? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if the answer is yes or no, like, cause it's, it's all specific to the person and how they want to live their life and what provides that self of sense, that sensation of self-actualization at the end of the day. I have one more question that I want to do the rounds with. So is there anything that you can think of that would shift? And maybe it's different for you guys because like your careers are entrenched in this world. But like, is there anything you can think of that could occur where you just go, you know what, this is no longer a priority. Like, like, I mean, for me, it would probably be like, I mean, I don't know what level of dedication I'm going to be willing to allocate towards bodybuilding. Like once I have a family, like, I don't know, maybe like once I have kids, it's no longer worth it to spend six months dieting for a show. Maybe it's no longer worth it to spend two, two and a half hours in the gym, five days a week. I I don't know. Is there anything that you guys can think of? The only reason that I would probably stop bodybuilding or that lifestyle is if I was more passionate about something else than bodybuilding like if something came along and like you know i played a golf game i was like wow this is the best thing ever and then i did that every single week and it's like you know but chances are that's not going to happen but like if there was something that was more passionate and i was more passionate about than actual bodybuilding then you know even if i had a well when i have a family maybe um like you know i would still probably make it work like there's tremendous bodybuilders that you know have kids have a whole family and you know can still do what they love like for example a bunch of the 3d mj guys half of them have families and, you know, they're extremely successful, accomplished bodybuilders, coaches, and, you know, that doesn't stop them. Sure. It might stop them for a couple of years initially, but you know, they're still ticking away. They're still doing what they love. I think for me, maybe if I got a, uh, BCF sponsorship and a big, yeah. Like one of those fishing tournaments, like the five meter flatty. Um, don't tempt me. Uh, I'll, I'll seek it out, but no, I'm probably if I got injured so bad that I couldn't train how I wanted to train. Um, or alternatively, maybe if uh, I started regressing, like maybe I get to that age where I, I start regressing instead of improving, I think I would find that quite demotivating. Um, or as or as DY said, like just finding a an alternate interest that takes your passion more than bodybuilding. I could see like I could see a time where perhaps I don't have the passion to, for bodybuilding in the sense of like competitive passion. So as in, as, as being the athlete myself, I can see myself being a coach within this space through the entirety of my life. That's pretty much, I think it's my purpose and that's my, my calling with regards to a profession, but in terms of being, being the athlete, I think that there will be a time where I decide to, to hang up the posing trunks and it no longer becomes something that I do. And it might be something I spontaneously do, you know, while, while I'm in the master's category, you know, on occasion, just as a means to challenge myself, but not to the same degree that I'm at at this at this point in time, um, and I just think it's kind of like the rise and flow of 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 one's life, and you know, achieving certain things, and 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 your your sense of balance changes over time. What you prioritize, I can see a time where perhaps I'm I'm not not interested in, in competing at one day, but 
I still think we'll, I'll be entrenched within the bodybuilding community, particularly from like the coaching aspect. Hmm. We also don't know if bodybuilding is going to be around in like 20, 30 years. Like think about other industries, like the technological industry. How has that evolved in 30 years? How will bodybuilding evolve? Like, yeah, we don't know. Like will AI be so extreme that like we, we don't, they don't need coaches anymore. Like AI will take over that. DC, BK, time to pa- wrap it up. <laughs> you boys, are, once this bodybuilding's out, you guys are gone. <laughs> no more shredded glutes on stage. It was just AI photos of them. Mm. Well, DC has the, he has the X-Fizz to fall back on, unlike you, DY. <laughs> just, just throw Damn, the shots fired. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I love it. Lovely uh, philosophical chat to uh, finish the podcast to wrap up episode 60 so dear listener i think we're going to leave it there thank you very much for tuning in and just as a little bit of a tease we will let you know that we do have some merch cooking away in the background so we're in the process of getting a graphic designed for some t-shirts so we're still not entirely sure how long away it will be but sometime between now and you know 2030 i would say yeah, 2030, 2078, you know, sometime before the end of, you know, humanity as we know the it. End of, the end of time. Somewhere the end of time, it. it'll yeah. happen. So, um, no, the goal is to get them out, you know, in the next few months. So keep an eye out. And, um, of course, we'll keep you guys updated for what is going on there. Uh, but as always, you know, make sure you share the episodes around. Make sure you leave a five-star review on your podcast platforms of choice. And we'll catch you guys next week. Bye.